This podcast is brought to you by Estee Lauder Company's UK and Ireland's breast cancer campaign. The campaign helped to make the opening of Future Dreams House possible and continues to raise millions to help end breast cancer. The house offers practical and emotional support to those diagnosed with the disease. Hello, I'm Victoria Derbyshire. I was 46 years old and getting on with my busy, happy life. And I didn't feel as though I had a care in the world. And then came breast cancer. This is the second series of the podcast brought to you by the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity. It's for you if you've been touched by breast cancer and for everyone in your life who's affected too. Family, friends, work colleagues, the people who love you. Today's episode is all about hormone therapy or hormonal therapy. And there are some incredible positives, of course, to do with the various drugs we need to take if we've been diagnosed with breast cancer. They can do amazing things like reduce the size of tumours. They can do amazing things like reduce the chance of breast cancer returning. And they can also give us some pretty grim side effects. So we're going to talk about those today with various people. Uh, hello, ladies. Hi, I'm, I'm Sarah. I'm 54 and I was diagnosed in 2018 at my very first screening mammogram. I, I had no symptoms at all, no redness, no lump, nothing. And the only thing that showed up on my mammogram was calcifications. But it turned out to be an aggressive tumour that was already into lymph nodes the oncologist actually told me I wouldn't have felt it for 18 months. So I'm really grateful that I was screened when I was. And what, um, is, ca- what is calcification? What does that mean? Just, uh, just it, I think tell it was us just, when the, it's, ti- it's tiny spots of calcium that, that showed up. On, there was no lump or anything. Mm. And it just, it, they just said it was slightly suspicious because they couldn't see the lump, but the calcifications were visible on the mammogram. Okay, thank you. But, I had, I had loads of tests and it came back as um, a grade three tumour, but I wouldn't have felt it for 18 months and it was already in two lymph nodes, which I, I think that's really quite scary that mm. it can be there and you just can't feel it. Yeah. I'm living in Swansea. I've got an online Etsy shop and I design cancer, mental health and surgery cards. I also do cancer gifts and menopausal handkerchiefs. Menopausal handkerchiefs? Am I hearing you right? <laughs> yes. What the heck is that? <laughs> Basically, it's it's everything I think I might have liked when I was going through treatment. Mm-hmm. And for me, one of my worst um, side effects is the hot flushes. So I don't go anywhere without a fan and a handkerchief. Fair enough. Thank you, Sarah. Welcome. Charmaine, hello. Hi. Yeah, I'm, I'm Charmaine. Um, I'm 48 now. I had breast cancer in lockdown, so I was diagnosed... Uh, in April 2020 uh, and had all my treatment over that time. Um, I'm on tamoxifen uh, and I have been since probably about the July, I suppose, of that year. So a couple of years. Hello, everybody. Um, My name is Corrine. I am 57 years old, single and live in London. I was diagnosed in March 2020, so right at the very beginning of lockdown. I had to wait about six months for surgery and I was put on letrozole straight away, literally my second appointment with my oncologist. Um, My job is building a house at the moment and I'm going to be on Grand Designs. Woo! Amazing. How exciting is that, Corinne? Thank you. It is, really. (laughs) I bet. Um, You'll have to tell us when it's on. And finally, uh, hello. Do introduce yourself. 
Hello, my name is Dr. Farah Raja and I'm a medical oncologist. I work in central London um, at a hospital um, called UCLH and I also work at a second hospital called the North Middlesex Hospital and I specialise in breast cancer care. And I'm 46 years old, I thought I had to share that given everybody else had shared <laughs> <laughs> Thank you uh, and welcome to And Then Came Breast Cancer. I just want to go around each of you and I want you to just, I mean, you've already done it, Corinne, but remind us in a moment. Tell us what hormone therapy you've had or are taking right now. Uh, Sarah. I started off on tamoxifen because although I was 50, I'm still premenopausal and the chemo stopped my periods, but they didn't because they can come back after they wanted to check I'd gone into menopause. So I started on tamoxifen. I was on it for eight months and it made me really emotional. But the worst effect was the sight, was the flushes. I was flushing okay. all the time, about 20 times a day. And I, I was carrying a fan everywhere. I, I was opening freezer cupboards in supermarkets. It was, it was constant and horrible. So then Fair I enough. changed when I had the menopause test, the FSH test to letrozole. Letrozole, I was only on for eight weeks because everything hurt, everything. And they changed me to Exemestane. And I've been on Exemestane now for about two and a half years. And it's not perfect and it's got loads of side effects, but it was so much better than Letrozole. For me now, it's insomnia that's the worst. Okay, well, we'll come back. We'll come to those in a moment. Charmaine, what are you on or what have you had? Yeah, no, I'm on tamoxifen. Been been on tamoxifen right since the, um, the beginning. So I had, I didn't actually have chemo. I had, I just had radiotherapy. Um, so I, I think I'm, they put me on tamoxifen probably sort of as that ended. So probably like the July time. Uh, so nearly two years now. Um, and I've been absolutely fine on it, actually. I'm on letrozole and literally because I was diagnosed right at the beginning beginning of the first lockdown in March 2020, there was no other option for me but for me to go straight on to letrozole and because they didn't know when they could operate on me, basically. And I've been right. on it ever since. Okay, so you had it before uh, surgery. Now, yeah. we've used the, the various names that we've used of different, of different drugs. Dr. Farah, there are many, there are multiple. And the, the, the point of this episode is not to simply select two or three and slag them off because there are so many. It just happens to be the ones that Sarah, Charmaine and, and Corrine uh, are on. And I'll talk about my experience with, with tamoxifen as well. But why don't you tell us what hormonal therapy or hormone therapy is for and who it's for? I think, first of all, it's it's a good idea to take a little step back and realise that, you know, breast cancer isn't one disease. You know, breast cancer is really now an umbrella term and it encompasses a number of different diseases. So when we diagnose somebody with breast cancer, we actually look for very specific markers. And one of the most important markers is looking for something called the estrogen receptor. And most all women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer will have had this looked at on their breast cancers. And if there is a lot of estrogen receptor on a breast cancer, um, then it suggests to us um, that ways in that cancer growing is to use estrogen. So therefore, you know, it, it does make sense that if estrogen is being used to help the cancer to grow, then to cut off that that sort of lifeline to the cancer um, to reduce the amount of estrogen is present and is available to the cancer. And that's what these drugs do. So they're hormone treatments 
And basically, they stop the cancer cells or breast cancer from getting estrogen. So whichever different type of is, it blocks the action of estrogen or it stops estrogen from being made. Now, therein lies the problem because it's a relatively blunt instrument. And, you know, we, we like having estrogen in our body because it does feel youthful. It helps us to have good bones. It helps us to be mobile, it memory. It helps with sleep. Pretty much helps with lots of things. So when we reduce that amount of estrogen, then we begin to get effects. Sarah, Charmaine, Corinne, you've given a, a, a you've given a, a bit of a hint of, as to how these therapies have affected you, but let's just delve into that and how it's changed the way you've behaved mentally and physically. Obviously, Sarah, you've talked about taking a fan everywhere with you. You've mentioned wow. your me- amazing menopausal handkerchiefs, but how's it changed your your, your how's it changed you mentally? Do you think as well? Uh, I, I think when I was on the tamoxifen in particular, I was really self-conscious that I was flushing all the time, all the time. And now I've got your two years, two or three years on, I've just got used to it. And I'm not so I'm not as self-conscious now as I was. Although I will say I'm sitting here now with my feet in a bucket of water. Of, of cold seriously. <laughs> in case I have a hot flush. Wow. Does that work? Um, it seems to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It might be inter- psychological, but it, yeah, it does seem to work. <laughs> I think with the eczema stain and the the insomnia, I mean, how it's affected me now is I'm just crashing all the time. Every four or five days, I just crash into a huge period of just fatigue for no reason because I'm rarely sleeping now more than two or three hours at a time. And that's been going on for a long time. So, yeah, I'd say I'm definitely fuzzy around the edges in the daytime. Okay. I'm not. I'm not extremely tired every day, mm. but I crash and burn definitely. I suppose we should um, say when we get when we first get these tablets, and we talk to our oncologists about them, um, there is a, a leaflet inside the box with a long list of side effects. I mean, Charmaine, do you remember looking through all those and thinking, "Oh God"? Yeah, and and it panics you. You sort of think, "Oh, am I going to get all of these these side effects?" Um, my oncologist was really great though, so she was good at like talking through and. Um, the, what could happen, and uh, and and actually, I've pretty much I've been okay. I mean, I do have a, a few. Uh, at first, I did have the hot sweats, um, but I changed. I used to take my tablet at night, uh, and my oncologist suggested that I take it in the morning. So I switched it to the morning, and and that stopped me having the hot sweats at night, which was wow. yeah, really yeah. good. Just yeah. a simple, just a simple switch like that. But then, did you have hot sweats during the day, and was that better? No, didn't have the hot sweats in the day. Oh. Whereas before, when I was taking the tablet at night, I'd wake mm. up and have the hot sweats. So, yeah, that that was good. I do, the, I do have, yeah, not sleeping is one of the side effects. I mean, I probably, I think my maximum is five hours. So I don't know if that gets worse, but um, mm. so it's about five hours sleep. Um, and then I do, I, yeah, I suppose exercising, I definitely sweat more, which is quite, quite embarrassing. Mm. Uh Definitely, like when you do like a spin class or something like that, I definitely like a dripping in, in sweat, whereas whereas I wasn't before. Um, and I would say I do get more thrush, which is an annoying side effect, but I did never got a thrush before mm. I started taking tamoxifen. Um, Corinne, what about you in terms of how it's potentially changed your behaviour mentally and physically? <laughs> Where do I start, Victoria? Um, mm-hmm. Well, I... It, well, if I start at the beginning, for me, um, 
it was just a drug that was prescribed to me with no, you know, for me just to read that leaflet. And I had personally a big psychological barrier, I think, about accepting that I had cancer because I was diagnosed on my own, went through the treatment on my own. So actually taking letrozole was very hard for me, taking it at night, sitting on the edge of my bed, reminding me just before I went to sleep that I, you know, girl, you've got cancer, you've got to take this to keep all, you know, to keep you well. Um, so there, for me, I think there is that aspect of it. For me, it was great because I had to be held off. It showed that it was actually holding my cancer at bay. I had multifocal breast cancer again, very deep, wouldn't have been seen, wouldn't have been felt, which I think a few of us, including you, Victoria, would, would just like that. Mm. Um, it actually showed to shrink those tumours in the six months that I was waiting for my operation. So that was a positive of me taking metrazole. I found that I had no control over which brand would be prescribed to me. And certain brands, would I would have very bad side effects, you know, almost using the word horrific to you. I just could not tolerate certain brands. Eventually, I've been prescribed the same brand, but not the original brand that I was prescribed. So I feel as though my actual side effects now are, I finished the menopause when I was 45. I went into perimenopause in my mid-30s, early 30s. I finished my, completely finished the menopause and I had a horrific menopause. You know, I used to say to my GP that if I woke up in the morning and the Pope was sitting at the edge of my bed, I would have killed him. I would, I'm a good Catholic convent educated <laughs> girl, but my menopause was horrific and I've gone back into that menopausal symptoms, not so much with the mood swings, but Definitely. I couldn't even put makeup on the other day in the morning because I was just wet. Right. And um, so it's these hot flushes it's, and the bone, the joint aches for me. I've not got particularly good bones anyway. Um, and, you know, I've got compressed discs in my neck. So in the pain from the joint yeah. aches, really. Um, that that I can absolutely relate to that. I think maybe weeks, months into taking tamoxifen, having gone through a year of almost a year of treatment, it was 301 days to be specific. Um, and I, I thought, oh, this is amazing. It's, you know, it's going to help prevent, hopefully, breast cancer returning or it reduces the risks. I shouldn't say mm. it, it's not a panacea. We know that. Um, but the joint pain was horrific. It made me feel I would wake up in the morning. I would feel like an 85 year old woman. At mm. that stage, I was 46, 47. Uh, it was so awful that I remember saying to my partner, I, I don't know if I can carry on taking this. I know that sounds dramatic and I'm not a dramatic person. I could take most things in my stride. And he said, well, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but you are going to have to carry on taking it because we want you to survive. And that was a really kind of brutal way of saying this is worth it, you know. And he was right, obviously. And the way I found to cope with it was by going to the gym. And it really helped with the joint pain. It helped me physically and it helped me mentally. It made me stronger. And Dr. Farry, you're nodding. You think that's that's a good way of trying to manage it, do you? Absolutely. I mean, we are really beginning to appreciate how important exercise is. Um, it used to be something that we just sort of trotted out, you know, as part of our, you know, just 
mantra of, oh, get fit and do some exercise. But actually, over the last decade or so, we have more and more evidence that's coming through, which shows that doing exercise regularly um, actually reduces the risk of the cancer coming back. Um, it improves survival. And importantly, it also helps you tolerate the treatments better. Um, so it really helps you tolerate the hormone treatments better. It reduces the joint pains and joint um, stiffness as well that women experience. So in fact, I do feel sometimes really quite, quite mean. So women come to me and say, I'm hobbling around, I can barely walk. And I say, well, you know what you need to do, you need to go to the gym. Yeah. Um, so it can, it can seem, you know, rather, rather, um, I don't say it quite in that way, but I do sort of encourage to start with walking and say, look, you need to try and walk, start with five minutes a day, maybe. Mm. Try but do you, do you know women? who mm. have stopped taking hormone therapy because they couldn't cope with the side effects. And actually, the risk of breast cancer returning was a risk that they were prepared to take because the side effects were absolutely debilitating. Yes, yes. Do you? I do, I do, I do. And, and actually, when we look at our studies and we get patients to try and be as honest as they can, what the data are suggesting is that up to a third of women who are prescribed these treatments don't actually take them. They Gosh. dutifully pick them up, you know, maybe even cash them in at their local chemist. Um, and then they just sit there in their bathroom cabinets or, or wherever people keep their medicines. And they, they will still dutifully come and see us and say, yes, yes, I'm fine, um, but not be taking them. So obviously there's no good way of knowing exactly how many patients are taking them because, you know, you're asking people to tell you the truth and and that's um that's a difficult thing to be sure about um but we think it may be as, uh, at least a third and what might be the reasons for that do you think dr farah i think a lot of it is um things that we've already discussed um a little bit like what corinne said people don't want to be a cancer patient um they are in denial in a sense um they have kind of lost interest in continuing that that fight um, for some women, the side effects are way too much for them to put up with. Um, for others, it's just, you know, they just get out of the habit, you know, taking something every day. They just kind of lose that momentum as well. Yeah. But I think the overall thing is the side effects um, and women not being able to cope. And I've got, we've got loads of questions, by the way, for, for you, mm -hmm. Dr. Farah, and, and I'm sure that Sarah, Shemaine and, and um, Corinne will be able to help with, 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 with suggestions for people who are listening to the podcast. And I'll, I'll bring you some of those questions in a moment. But did any of you, Charmaine, Sarah, Corinne, did, did you think, I, I'm going to have to stop taking this? It's too much. Yes. Yeah, more than more than once. I, I have really, really struggled. More of the eczema stain. I would say tamoxifen, I religiously took it. But I think that was because you come out of treatment and it's all right for the first year. And it's as time goes on and you wonder, really, is it really worth putting up with the side effects? Uh, if I hadn't come off letrozole, I probably would have quit completely. Eczema stain, I've taken a three-week break not the oncologist hasn't recommended it, but I just wanted mm. to see if my side effects would go. I've taken a couple of one week breaks, but at the moment for the last six months, I've been taking it religiously because I want to, it's really difficult to know sometimes whether the symptoms are just an extreme form of menopause because mm. uh, it was so sudden with the chemo, I, it was if they flicked a switch and I went into menopause or whether it was the owls, the eczema stain and electrozole 
so for me, I just think the eczema stain is just exaggerating any menopausal symptoms that I might have got anyway. Right. And so when you stopped for a month, definitely that I've struggled. When you stopped for a month, Sarah, did did the side effects stop? No, that was okay. And I would say after three weeks, I think they were getting less. But no, they didn't go completely. And okay. part of it, I think, might have even have been psychological. I might even have been wishing them to have not been there. What about you, Charmaine? No, no, I've never thought about um, stopping taking them. No, that's never never crossed my mind, really. But because you've been all right. You yeah. said it's been all right, no, I Tamoxifen. I know. <laughs> so, Dr. Farah, how come Charmaine's been all right? None of these side effects. And actually, we should say, for most of these drugs, most women won't get these kind of side effects. Exactly. It's a minority, isn't it? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So I th- what I say to women when I'm about to prescribe them a hormone treatment, and on the whole, I think we've got a good representative sample here. So, you know, we've got women on tamoxifen, on exemestane, on letrozole. You know, really, they're the main endocrine treatments we do prescribe. There's another drug called anastrozole, which is similar to letrozole. So they're the four drugs that we do tend to prescribe. And I think when I first prescribe them, I say to women, look, the majority of women are going to be fine. You're going to be okay. You'll tolerate this. And it's likely that you may have a few symptoms in the first few weeks. Um, Give it at least six weeks before you say that you have got symptoms or you haven't got symptoms. Then after that, I say that you will probably be fine. A proportion of women will have some side effects, but they can live with them. They're manageable. They'd prefer not to have them, but it's something that is doable. And then we have a small percentage of patients who actually are quite debilitated by by the side effects and they get a lot of side effects and it's really difficult for them. And they are spending a lot of their waking hours thinking about how to manage side effects. And that's really tough. Hmm. Can I ask all of you, has the taking of these hormone therapies had any impact on your sex life? Well, I'm I'm eternally single, so I don't have a sex life, so it hasn't. But I will say that in the last six or so months, I have noticed to get that I've had a, a small bit of vaginal dryness, which I've never had before, and I don't know whether that's just the lack of estrogen. Mm. Mm. Yes, yes, it is, um, and and, that's and it's. Been- quite gradually as well yeah so i think that can occur because you know the sort of estrogen levels drop you know don't immediately drop and um as time goes by as the level of estrogen um reducing in the body becomes more profound then um you do develop that sort of vaginal dryness um and and what i'll say is that you know low sex drive and problems with the vagina are things that do occur with these treatments, but they do also occur with the menopause. And I think we are getting more and more sort of focused on women's kind of issues and talking about the menopause and also just for girls, you know, going through periods. I think we're beginning to try and destigmatize it all. And this all falls under that umbrella, really. So the symptoms that you are getting are menopausal type symptoms, vaginal dryness, is something that occurs with menopause and is something that occurs as a side effect of um, these hormonal treatments. Great. So we've got it twice over. 
Charmaine, what were you going to say when I asked about the sex lives? You know, I definitely had a vaginal experience, vaginal dryness, um, and I didn't before. So I, there was a definite change in that, um, as well as uh, getting thrush more frequently. Um, but I, yeah, it's just finding products, I suppose, that work as well. Um, I, I tend to use um, a vitamin E oil for for um, vaginal dryness, just because it's. I've, I've used different things and that's that's been the best for me. Um, because sorry, you, to, sorry to be thick here. Yeah. You mean actually putting it down there? Yeah, because yeah, the, okay. you, you, can, you can get um, a vitamin E oil. This is so personal, but you can get a vitamin <laughs> E oil from Holland and Barrett that's a drinkable vitamin E oil. Right. So, so you don't drink it. I don't drink it. No. Okay. okay. <laughs> I no, this it. is this is all good. This is superb <laughs> advice. This is exactly why people listen to this podcast. Corin, I, I know you said right at the beginning. You stated emphatically you were single. Can I ask you the sex life question? Absolutely. Well, although um, I'm single, I enjoy my sex life, Victoria. Mm. But I didn't expect to have no libido to be so fatigued that I wouldn't even consider having sex and then obviously there's the question of being dry downstairs <laughs> you know like you it's not just dryness boy it is really dry and painful and I, I didn't expect that so, but yes there are solutions yeah and my GP okay. does pres- prescribe me something so yeah can I ask Dr Farah there is vaginal oestrogen cream Yes. So yes, you would you, you could put it you could use it locally on yes. your vagina. Would that yes. impact you if you're if you've had a breast cancer diagnosis and you're taking hormone therapy? So So would it impact I, you detrimentally, I should say? Detrimentally, yes. So look, I think there was a hypothetical concern. And, you know, what you'll probably find is if you go to your GP or to any other doctor, you say that you've had a breast cancer, you're on these treatments, then they will worry about giving you these vaginal estrogens. Mm. Um, Because there's a theoretical risk that you may absorb those vaginal estrogens, they go into your bloodstream, and actually you're reversing the good that you're trying to do with these hormone treatments. But actually what we find is that the level of absorption is very low and having short courses of vaginal estrogen so a couple of weeks when you really need it um, is safe and of course you know each case is individual so you know there's not a it's not a one-size-fits-all but on the whole for most patients a short course of a vaginal estrogen is um, something that most of us would recommend um, to help a woman stay healthy. But in between, I think what's important to say um, is that what we don't talk about, um, particularly in this country, is our vaginal moisturizers. So um, it is important to try and use a vaginal moisturizer. um, I've literally never heard of that. Yes. Has anyone out? Anyone? Vagina uh, moisturizer. Yes, no, I have. I think, have you? Go on, Shame. Yeah. What have you heard about just, it then? Well, I've just looked into it. I, th- I think someone. Like, I, there's also the contraception discussion as well, because mm. obviously um, you can't ha- you can't if you're taking tamoxifen you can't take any hormones. So I've got a copper coil, um, and during that when I had that fitted, the, the the doctor basically said that you she gave me some recommendations of different moisturizers to use. Mm. So I have tried lots of different ones and, and they're all available in in, the, yeah. in you know in, on the high street 
Mm. Um, but the one I found it, it, that works well for me is the is just the, the really pure vitamin E oil. But right. yeah, they they are. Sorry, there. are you we- sorry? To, this is so personal. Yeah. <laughs> are you wearing a, are you wearing a coil to avoid becoming pregnant? Yeah, because I because I'm. But your, have your periods come back? I've got, they have ne- they've never stopped. They've never gone because oh, because, my because, God. because I didn't have chemotherapy. Ah, that's why. Yeah. Okay. So my my tumor was grade one, mm. um, and I and it had gone to one. I had a, a couple of cells in one lymph node, so they sent my tumor off to the, the states for an on so an onco type test. Doctor Farrell will know that. Mm. Um, yes. It's basically to determine if I needed chemo or not, and it came back that I didn't. So I had a course of four weeks of radiotherapy. Um, But yeah, my periods didn't stop. So my oncologist said, you you know, you've got to use a contraception. You can't use any hormones. So I suggest maybe having the copper coil fitted. Yeah. Okay. Which I did. Interesting. Mm. Um, Right. Can I just throw some questions to you, Dr. Farah? And please, anyone Mm. else, you you may have good (laughs) advice for for women listening. Uh, So let's keep the answers as short as possible. Then we can get more questions in, if that makes sense. Right, Tinkerbell5585 says uh, she's had a letter that tells her she's coming off tamoxifen soon after five years and she is scared. Her cancer is oestrogen-based and she's scared it will come back. What do you say to that, Dr Farah? So I think she should have a discussion with her breast surgeon or her oncologist. I mean... There are patients that we stop after five years. There are other patients that we carry on for 10 years. Um, It's impossible to say which is the right for her, um, you know, just like this. But um, if she really was concerned, she could certainly have a discussion whether she should stay on a bit longer. Mm. Um, But if if her oncologist feels that she was very low risk, then I would say it's safe to come off and she spares herself other side effects. Yeah. Um, Jura Hen, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, says, I've been on letrozole for three years, brain fog, hot flushes. What's the alternative? So I think it's always worth trying one of the others um, because um, as we find with lots of things in life, you know, some, some things suit people better. And there are certainly some drugs that suit some women better. So if she's struggling with letrozole, maybe try Eximestane which is equivalent in how well it works, but she might find that it suits her a bit better. Mm. Although she may not sleep like Sarah. Although <laughs> I shouldn't say that because it affects everybody individually. Exactly. I think, can I just say, I think with the examestin, it's different to an anastrol and leptrazone, the way it's steroid-based. So I don't know if, it, if that has effect, an effect as well on the insomnia because uh. it's processed through the liver in a completely different way. So... I think that's why maybe I tolerate that one better than I did the leprosol, possibly. Right, yeah. Um, Judy Bates Judy, I'm sure she's not called Judy Bates Judy. I'm sure she's just called Judy Bates, but I may be wrong. I'm due to start taking leprosol soon. I'm feeling anxious. What about positive experiences? I mean, I will say that I know hundreds of women who take it and have taken it for more than five years and are living a full fulfilled life and have very little if not minimal side effects so and they are alive exactly. they are alive that's the, that's yeah. sometimes i wonder if we if the side effects are can be awful but it sometimes mm. can cloud us and actually yeah. this is about surviving isn't it 
Yes, yes, they are life-saving drugs, um, and um, and therefore, you know, it is important to do your best. I mean, of course, quality of life is important, um, and if if somebody's life is totally and utterly destroyed by a drug, then then there has to be a discussion about stopping it. But um, I think there's a long way to go before you get there. Megan Harris says her her struggle, as she puts it, is coming off hormone therapy to try and get pregnant. I mean, presumably you you have to do that, do you, Dr. Farah? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, you'd need to be off hormone treatment for at least three months before you tried um, to sort of let it totally be out of the system. Um, it's, It's tough, but, you know, there has been, there's a lot of data out there now saying that women coming off hormone treatment to try and get pregnant, getting pregnant, and then, you know, going back on the hormone treatment after they've had the baby, um, their outcomes are as good as those women who don't get pregnant, if not better. So go for it. It'll be worth it. There are a number of natural remedies that do show some effectiveness. So I, I do recommend that women try sage. So we all know the herb sage. So I don't recommend necessarily eating lots of sage, but certainly sage supplements or sage tea um, has been effective in some women. And anecdotally, I've had a lot of women who feel that there is some benefit. Evening primrose oil as well can be beneficial in some women. Mm. Um, and then there's things like acupuncture. Does that have- work? Has anyone, have any of you have ac- had acupuncture? No. No. I, I haven't actually tried anything for the hot flushes. I've just I just resigned myself to having hot flushes forever. But I wouldn't mind trying acupuncture, definitely. Mm. I know someone suggested it to me soon after treatment, having started taking the tamoxifen, and I just couldn't face any more needles, to be honest. I just I just thought I'll have to I can't be doing with it, you know, having gone through chemo and all that sort of stuff with a needle in every few weeks. Um does it feel like People who have experience of breast cancer have a diagnosis or their relatives who have the diagnosis talk a lot about chemo and radiotherapy and surgery, but way, way less about this aspect of treatment. And if so, why? When I I did chemo and radio and the radio boosters and surgery, and I think when you come to the end of radio, it just seems to be an assumption that you come to the end of active treatment, so you're cured. And that's that's fine, but I, I felt really flat after radio, to be honest, because everything, it was so intensive, all the treatment I came out, I was completely flat, but I have really, really struggled, I think, more with taking one pill a day, which is a tiny, one tiny pill a day, because I know it's going to go on for 10 years, than I did for any of the other treatments. I would say even the chemo, really, because with chemo, it, although some of the side effects were horrific, you could switch off and I knew that there was a start date and there was an end date and it was condensed for me within about four and a half, five months. But this is 10 years of just extreme menopausal side effects. And yeah, I do feel that they've been brushed over a bit also by many oncologists. I saw one oncologist to talk about tamoxifen just three weeks after I started it. And I didn't have any side effects then, except for a few flushes, whereas I'd really like to talk to them now, a few years mm. down the line, on some of the others. Yeah. So, and I will say as well, my oncologist's brilliant when I was going through treatment, but when I when I was given the box of tamoxifen, <laughs> I was told not to read the, st- the side effects because I'd scare myself. Uh, well, with me, ladies and Victoria, it's... I am it's also like a lady. 
<laughs> Queen Victoria. <laughs> Lovely Victoria. Um, it's like I've been given this drug, but I've been provided with no solid statistics or information about what it will actually do for me as an individual. Will it stop me getting breast cancer again? And if so, what is that percentage? So, for example, if it was a very low percentage, I probably would not bother taking it. If it was, you know, over 70%, if I didn't take it, I would reoccur. Then I, I would probably feel more mentally attuned to taking it and dealing with all the side effects. And, you know, are all the side effects I have as a result of me taking taking letrozole I don't know I'm just citing them as as what I'm going through at the moment but um you know Dr Farah said you know talk to your breast surgeon talk to your oncologist I don't know if I'm alone here but I do not have a breast surgeon anymore I do not have an oncologist anymore who who you know so so it's easier for me to stop taking that tablet and I might be one of those one third of people that still are on repeat prescriptions but can't, you know, just because I don't have access and don't have information, it's easy to stop taking it. And I'm very much in that camp at the moment. Do I want to carry on taking something that has just been prescribed to me? And that's how I feel. It has mm. just been prescribed to me. Why can't you call up your oncologist? I don't have one anymore. I've been. But if you ra- was, if you if you rang the hospital and said, "Please, can I speak to Doctor X Y Z?" and leave a message, surely they would call you back. They have discharged me, and I'm just in an open access clinic now. Doctor so Farrell, what's your number. advice? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the open access clinic um, key in that is access. So it doesn't mean that you are, you know, cut loose and and that's it. You should be able to call the open access clinic and speak to somebody. And that's exactly the role of the open access clinic for you to reach out when you need to. And and I think Sarah is also correct in saying that often the the questions, the side effects, everything comes up later. So, Corinne, I'd really urge you to kind of, um, and anybody else who's listening, if you are struggling and you feel that you've got no one to turn to, the open access scheme, there will be breast care nurses, there are doctors who are involved in that open access scheme. You call them up and you say, I am struggling. Or you can even say, look, I know that I've been taking this for years, but actually I don't really know why. Um, in you know in detail so can I please have some information can I have a discussion and that do, I, I've just googled have. open access scheme and obviously a million open accesses are coming up to do with universities to do with universities mostly so what, what how do you how do I find it you have to be referred do you okay Right. But each each trust or each hospital is likely to have its own kind of open mm. access scheme. They call it slightly different things. So there'll be okay. a stratified follow up. There's an open access scheme. There's other titles for it. Um, and it's basically mm. it was meant to be there to empower women so that they could contact you know, the teens whenever they wanted to. And there wasn't this rigid sort of appointment system, which was considered to be quite old fashioned and sometimes a waste of time of bringing women dutifully every six months or year. Okay. But there okay. is no relationship built, Dr. Farrer, is there? It's, it's almost like me ringing the Samaritan. <laughs> you know, there is, uh, and especially I think, and not wanting to harp on about it, but somebody that was diagnosed at the beginning of lockdown that yeah. didn't get the child 
to forge relationships with breast cancer nurses or other patients or anything like that to ring up, leave a message on an answer phone and get a call back in however many days to explain something that is obviously quite deeply felt and not just side effects, but psychologically felt to just talk to a stranger about that and for them to get to understand me and ask questions and ask for data on my specific case. I don't feel that, Mm. that, you know, I think, Corinne, that's really, really important for me to hear. And um, I think that's um, a very powerful statement that you have made. And um, it's it, it does make me feel a little bit sad that you're in that situation. Um, and I fully understand what you're saying, that you don't have a relationship and it's just like calling up the Samaritans. And perhaps, you know, we've got to a point in breast cancer follow-up where that relationship is not being valued as much. And it's thought that you know, somebody can call up a helpline, get an answer and, um, and, you know, it's okay, but maybe, you know, we need to be it's taking more enough. note. Yeah. It's not enough. I just think it's about trust as well. So you, you, when you build up a relationship, you trust the person and you can take their advice. Whereas if you don't have that. That's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. Um, Ladies, I I always, at the end of each episode, I ask each of the guests for their final bit of advice to anybody listening who might be struggling, who might not be struggling, actually, when it comes to hormone therapy. But for those who are, what would you say to them, having experienced what many people will be going through as they listen to this? Sarah? Um, For for me, I'd like to say that my biggest form of support has been uh, with breast cancer care and the forums. When I was going through chemo, I joined, I I was one of the May ladies in 2018, and we've kept in touch since then. And because we went through at the same time, and there's a core group of eight of us, we're all going through the similar problems with different hormone therapies. And they're my first port of call, definitely, for support and to talk through any problems that we're having. And also sometimes to make light of it as well. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend the forums. But I, I do also add as well, I and mean, Karina, I feel so sorry that you haven't got anyone that you can you can get in touch with, like a breast cancer nurse that you feel a bond with, because I was I, well, it's not lucky, but I think I'm so pleased that I went through breast cancer treatment before COVID, because I, I do have an open access where I can just call up my personal breast care nurse now. And I think it's up for up to 10 years afterwards. More difficult to see a consultant. So I can't get to see the consultant, but I do have a breast care nurse at the end of the phone. So I would recommend that as well. But for me, yeah, the forums, breast cancer care yeah. forums for me. I've tried things myself, like changing what time to take the tamoxifen, exercising, using creams where you need to. Um, yeah, and, and, and also, yeah. Just, just, just going back to your GP as well if you've got issues. So you know, my thrush issue kept carrying on. So I kept on at my GP until they prescribed me something different that worked. So it's yeah, it's just just persevering really. I'm in both camps. Yeah, letrozole was proved to shrink my tumours when I had an MRI and was waiting for surgery. So I know it works on me personally. But what is the risk of me having a reoccurring, you know, cancer or even breast cancer? And I do know people, and we've not discussed this today, who have had reoccurrences while being on tamoxifen. Or, of course. And I think drugs. I did you say know, at the so beginning, it's not, it's a, not a panacea. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. A, a, 
but for me, that I trust myself. And if I don't feel that this is doing me any good, I, I would like the opportunity to be able to sit down with somebody and look at some facts. <laughs> you know, yeah. if I had statistics, like I said, in front of me, yeah. then it would make my life easier. But no, you know, I, I didn't even know that there was a different drug to letrozole that I, I might be better off on. I didn't, I didn't even think to take it in the morning rather than in the evening. You know, all these things could help. Yes, exercise does help. Mm. But, you know, in my case, I, I, I probably label myself somebody with chronic fatigue. You know, the point you made, Corinne, about being told the, 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 the maths, the stats, yeah. how much does your risk of it reoccurring, uh, how much, in percentage terms, how much is it reduced yeah. by taking hormone therapy? I was yeah. given those figures. Yeah, I haven't. It, it, I mean, apart from the fact that it's incredible information on, on then, which you make an informed decision, obviously, mm, that's mm. what you do with information. It, it, it was reassuring. To yeah. get those actual percentages was mm. amazing. Can you not just go back and say, I really I've been need discharged. to talk to I don't I've care. Been... I know. You might not, Victoria, but they do. I know, I'm, but I'm can't, not, you, can't, can't, can't you go to the hospital and say, I'm not, no offence, I'm not leaving here. Please, I need to see an oncologist. <laughs> I, I think, I Corinne, you really could um, get to see a breast care nurse, um, you know, and you could get your GP to help if you really didn't want to, you know, directly ask the hospital yourself. Um, the GP could re-refer you and just say, um, you know, Corinne is really struggling with her with her hormone treatment and its side effects and also, you know, understanding, you know, what the benefit is for her. So can you please see her? You know, but I'm probably, Dr. Farrow, one of many that have been discharged from, from treatment sure. to, yeah. to an open access clinic. So you've had cancer, we've dealt with it, da, da, da. although I'm still waiting for reconstruction surgery. But, um, you know, I am, I am probably one of many yes. that are in this situation. And, you know, contact a breast cancer nurse. We're going back to, I don't have a breast cancer nurse. And if I did, okay. I would have been discharged from that. And then... That brings me back to open access clinic. Yeah. But if you go to your GP and say, please, can you re-refer me? Yeah. And be persistent and polite. I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay, right, listen, thank I'm going to pause. Thank you. No, thank you. Um all of you, seriously, for some, well, obviously for being so open about some really intimate stuff. So thank you. And also for your lived experience and the kind of advice that you have shared with other people. I'm really, really grateful. And obviously, Dr. Farah, for your, you know, for your superb advice. Uh, Could I just add, um, yeah, Victoria, that one of the things that we haven't discussed is that mm. in if there are women who are really, really struggling, we do, and certainly I do this, we do have what's called a drug holiday so you know and that's something that um, many oncologists will perhaps discuss with their women if they are hugely struggling and just give them a period of time off the drug um, it might be good for morale it might be for a special holiday or event and um, see how they feel and then to go back on the treatment so how, how long is the drug can the drug holiday be two weeks a month three months well normally I would suggest at least a month to six weeks okay 
Yeah. And see okay. how they are. Yeah, so, no, that's yeah. good. That's good to know. Thank you. Uh, ladies, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Um, I hope it's been okay for you as well. Um, and then Came Breast Cancer is brought to you by the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity. If you'd like more information, do go to their website. You can contact me at any time on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. And this is a Six Foot Six and Factory Originals production. Thank you for listening. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity hopes you found this podcast helpful. We fund awareness, support and research. If you would like to help us do more, please text WE CARE to 7500 to make a £5 donation or visit our website at futuredreams.org.uk forward slash donate. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity will receive 100% of your donation. Text costs your donation plus one standard rate text message, UK only. Always get the bill payer's permission. We would like to contact you on your mobile phone with news and updates. If you would rather opt out, then please add no info to the end of your message. For example, we care, no info. Thank you again for listening.